what? I got a fever. You give me fever. Fever. In the morning. A fever all through the night. Welcome to episode 32 of the Dynasty Fever podcast. I'm Brian Ford hosting tonight. Uh, absent is my uh, co-host Jesse Schneeman, who's on some form of vacation. How dare he? Uh, and uh, we're going to have a, 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 a good uh, dive into some recent uh, you know, Dynasty fantasy news, but also uh, into uh, the world of, of Debbie a little bit as well. Uh, and we're going to do that with our, our guest, the everyman of Debbie, the David Donaldson. How are you doing? I'm well. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. So I'm coming from a, a, a two hour plus political meeting and uh, Dave is coming from tucking in kids. And I don't know which is uh, is preferable at this point. <laughs> but uh yeah, uh, so we're both a little, uh, you know, on the burnt out side, but that's what we do because uh, we have busy schedules and this is not uh, a full time job for us. And uh, but we're going to we're going to get down to it. We're going to look at some some interesting fantasy stuff before we move forward, though. Uh, you know, I know um, uh, Dave uh, through uh, the DWZ Dynasty Warzone <clears throat> Patreon community. Uh, so I encourage uh, folks to aggregate all information that you can about Dynasty, including uh, from, from there. It's a great community as well as great knowledge. Uh, and you can do that at, I believe, patreon.com slash Dynasty Warzone. Uh, so, Dave, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Let's get to know uh, the guests a little bit. Um, you know, how did you start playing fantasy football and how long ago and, and why do you love it so much? So I started playing fantasy football back in 2001. Um, I went over and was doing redraft with some friends of mine. We all had a mutual uh, friendship over football and we played way too much Madden, uh, the uh, legacy modes and all that fun stuff where you drafted teams and didn't actually play. You just kept going with them mm-hmm. and uh, found fantasy football through that. Uh, ended up going into Dynasty with that same group of people about five years ago into a auction salary cap league. Uh, and that actually led me to DWZ as I was trying to figure out how I can go over and get an edge on some of these sharks. So, mm-hmm. and uh, it's kind of just grown from there. So uh, I got the Dynasty bug. Around, I've been playing, first of all, fantasy pretty much as long as you have. Uh, I think I started right around maybe 99 or 2000. And I also, you know, recently got, uh, got the, the dynasty bug, like in the last maybe four years or, or something like that. Uh, in a nutshell, what is it about uh, dynasty that you that you really love that keeps you going at it so much? Um, I think it I think it's about it's like playing chess instead of checkers. You know, you can go over and plan three moves ahead, six moves ahead. Um you can quickly pivot and it's not so much, you know, sometimes in redraft you draft this amazing team and then you have CMC get hurt and Derrick Henry get hurt. And all of a sudden you look at your team and you just say, well, this was a fun season. I hope I could draft better next year. So uh, dynasty to me gives you opportunities to go over and just say, this isn't my year, but how can I change this and make it work and, 
do something that's different and fun and, you know, you don't mind losing as much anymore because now your loss means you have a better draft position to go over mm-hmm. and get some decent players. And yeah, yeah. there's a lot more. You're always engaged. I think it's a great way to go over and say it. You, you, you always have that engagement. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, and uh, the other dynasty podcast I work on, it's called dynasty 365. And I think, you know, that's kind of where we were going with the name is that like dynasty never sleeps. Right. No. All right. So let's talk about uh, some of the, the, uh, the fallout then of some of these major <clears throat> recent moves. Uh, and, and before we get into a, a, a Debbie conversation. So let's talk about uh, Devonte Adams uh, to uh, the Raiders. Uh, and there's a lot that could be said about all that. There's a lot of threads uh, to pull. Uh, you want to point out something interesting, though, about uh, about the contract. Yeah. So I remember I don't I don't remember the exact content provider that went over and, and said this. But when they were looking at it, Green Bay offered the same contract as Vegas did. And Devontae Adams basically said, ship me off to Vegas. So I know that back in, you know, 2000, I believe it was 12, 13, 14, he went over and had Derek Carr as his quarterback at Fresno State. And so they have that relationship. I'm just wondering if he just had enough of some of the drama. And it kind of makes me question what's happening in Green Bay that um, Devontae Adams, his number one guy that helped him be the number one wide receiver, basically said, thanks, but no thanks. I'm going to Vegas. So. And yeah. kind of there's there's a lot of impacts that happen with this kind of trade. So for sure. Yeah. You know, the, the point of like, you know, being done with the drama and, and leaving, I'm starting to wonder too about the culture there, you know, uh, and, and about, uh, you know, uh, Rogers is, you know, well, I have a lot to say about Rogers, but that's a different story. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, but, but yeah, you know, and then you have to wonder, okay, well now what's Green Bay going to do, uh, as far as as far as you know, moving forward and, and competing and having people for Rodgers to throw throw the ball to, right? So you know what's existing there uh, uh, as far as on their roster isn't much to talk about. So uh, we're thinking that uh, they're going to get a pass catcher in the draft. Yeah, you you almost have to. I mean, Amari Rogers, Alan Lazard. Um, I mean, those are your two top guys. I mean, that's. Really, I mean, Randall Cobb, if if he if he can, you know, still get up in the morning, uh, it, it yeah, it's, you're you're gonna have this very very interesting set of wide receivers, but you don't have a field stretcher like like what you have with MVS. You don't have um, you've got your bunch of slot guys, but you don't have the possession receiver like you have with Devontae Adams. So, I really think this draft is gonna be really interesting for them, and that's that you got me the Everman of Devi, and that's part of what I look at is trying to figure out like where are these draft picks going to go? Because as you and I were discussing before this, I think that whoever goes over and gets picked by green Bay, whether it be someone like Drake London or Olave or Traylon Burks, I think all of them get a huge bump in terms of perceived value uh, just because they get to play with Rogers for two years, presumably two to three years. So um, what's their pick 22, right? They have they have twenty two and twenty eight. Okay, uh, based you 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 look at a lot of mocks and you you know a lot about these these guys even when they're in college, right? Uh, so what's going to be around at at twenty two for them? Well, the the interesting the thing about it for me is that this is such a deep 
class at the top for wide receivers. Um, I think a lot of mocks currently are overvaluing where teams are going to go with wide receiver because usually you've seen this happen time and time again in the draft where you have a deep class in one position and everyone just kind of assumes they can hold off and wait a little bit longer. Um, I've seen Jahan Dotson uh, mock to them recently. I saw Burks mock to them recently. Um, they they may try to get someone like George Pickens, who's coming off an ACL, and we don't really know what's happening there at 28, uh, So, which might just end up being a huge steal. There's there's all sorts of, of – it's just going to be such an interesting uh, dynamic, and that's why I think this that this is going to be one of the biggest – parts of the draft is when do they go and what do they go with mm-hmm. okay and uh so uh, we we had talked previously you think uh, uh, uh drake london might be a, a good fit i think drake london is a great fit for there he fits he fits a lot of what Devonte adams did in doing more of the slant routes more of the quick routes um he's big enough to kind of get himself into a position to go over and out muscle a lot of the cornerbacks. He was playing a big slot for a lot of periods of time. So you could always move him more as a, as a wide movement receiver and bring him back in and let him kind of get a free release. Even at that big, there's no chance anyone's going to have it. Mm-hmm. So um, I think Drake London would be great. My, my issue is I don't, at 22, I don't know if Drake London's still there. Okay. Um, even with the injury, um, I, I think that there was so much potential in what that guy was able to do in eight games at USC this year, really kind of was putting him, cementing himself in a position. Uh, we were also talking about uh, JMO, Jamison Williams, uh, former wide receiver at Ohio State who transferred to Alabama this year, who had the ACL tear. That, if he was able to run the 40, he probably would have been in the, four, the mid, or mid to low uh, or mid to high four twos. Um, they, were, they were saying he could easily be running about four two eight maybe four, 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 three, three on a bad day. And on that surface that they were running at, at Indianapolis, he, he could have been in that range. So he may be an interesting option as an MVS replacement if they were able to get someone like um, Jarvis Landry to come in or an OBJ to come in and run that mid-tier route. Then you can go over and draft someone like JMO at the end of the first and go over and have him be your outside speed guy mm-hmm. okay. and hope for an injury. Yeah the injury bug to go over and drop him down to the point where you can make it work. Okay. Right on. I dig it. Uh, so one of the things that I thought about with this is, is um, you know, what this means for, for car. Right. And as far as his, his value um, and, you know, uh, you know, he's, he's been, I think, you know, uh, from what I can see people think, okay, he's a, maybe a QB two on a super flex, but definitely a good QB three to have. Uh, on the bench, I went, I went and looked and I said, okay, like, I think I'm going to give him a bump in my rankings. And, and so I took a look and I'm like, and I don't know, I, I you know, uh, as much as I think this is very uh, helpful and they needed a, a, another wide receiver threat uh, to add to uh, Renfro and the tight end and, and Waller, I don't know that I could like really bump them up more than like one or two spots at this point. So what, do, uh, real quick, what do you think is the impact with, uh, with Carr? I think I think it's more than I think it's a bigger bump than you're thinking. Okay. I have I have him probably closer to that QB twelve. I have him probably right there in that Kirk Cousins range. Okay. Um, you got to remember just how how dominant a player Devontae Adams is. Yeah. He's like mm-hmm. that Michael Thomas in terms of just being able to run routes that people just can't stop. 
And Derek Carr is not the same quarterback that Aaron Rodgers is, but he's been a lot better than a lot of people give him credit for, especially when you have things like, I don't know, Henry Ruggs acting crazy, or you don't really have a, a solid wide receiving group. I mean, when Hunter Renfro is your best wide receiver and no offense to Hunter Renfro, he's amazing at what he does. And, and the slot guys are being proven now to be worth their weight with what Cooper Cup did this last year. But for the longest time, especially under Gruden, that was never a big option. Mm-hmm. So it was always you have the two, you have the outside receivers, and that's where you're supposed to go with. So I think I think this this is going to be a really really fun fun year for Carr. Um, I've I drafted him actually in the last startup I just did, uh, even before the news of Devontae Adams. So I thought he ha- he just has so much potential, and it you know. I drafted him and right after Kirk Cousins got drafted because I think they're right in that same tier. Okay. I dig it. You have made a good point and I will go reevaluate my rankings forthwith. Um, So uh, let's move on now to uh, some other news uh, the, uh, on the trade front. Um, Deshaun Watson to the Browns. This was interesting, you know, because we we were we were given the impression that it was down to the Falcons and Saints, and then Cleveland, right? Uh, and so you know, people were kind of maybe uh, souring on on Cooper after going there uh, as not being a good spot to land. Now <laughs> you now you probably you know say okay, well now we have to kind of reevaluate that and bump up uh, Cooper a bit. I, I think it's got fallout for uh, two of my guys, uh, uh, Najoku. Uh, and and also Mills on on the Texans, but we won't get into my Mills love. I'm notorious for that. Uh, <laughs> I know. Uh, but uh, one thing that that uh, that you want to point out though is everybody's saying, or at least as of a couple of days ago, and eh, maybe Baker to the Colts or something like that. And you're saying not so fast. I'm a I'm a Colts fan, and I live in Dallas, so I have a, a, a interesting aspect on both Cooper and on Baker that I'll make my point real quick on. Um, the Colts don't have a whole lot of assets that I think that they'd be willing to give up for Baker, especially having gone through what Carson Wentz was. Mm. Um, I think, I don't think the Colts are really going to make a trade for him unless it, the price is just so absolutely low that it, it, it's not taking a huge risk. Um, how much better is Baker Mayfield than Carson Wentz when we just went through all of this and you know they made the comment the browns made the comment that they were looking for an adult to be a quarterback in charge of their room and your the your example of an adult is deshaun watson um that does not speak highly of the type of character he had inside that room or maybe even the maturity level he had now i'm not saying that this is true or this is not some you know speech to go over and like disassociated, but he's still a member of their team. He wasn't a part of the trade to go to the Texans. Hence your Mills love. I think Mills gets a bump in the fact that they were like, no, no, you can keep, you can keep uh, Baker. We're going to, we just want the extra picks. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, and if uh, Watson is amazing, but Cooper has never been great as being a number one, uh, mm. switching over to Mari Cooper uh, when he was with the Cowboys, you know, he really needed a number two. He needed somebody to pull pull off because if they put the best corner on him, while he's an amazing route runner, he can sometimes just get lost. 
and just not find it or not find his groove. And he just, it just doesn't do as well. Whenever CD Lamb was out or Gallup was out, Cooper wasn't ever one to just stand up and, and make everything work. So um, again, I, I know Cleveland has got to be like hunting for Landry or someone of that ilk, Julio maybe, to come in and just be a part of that team just so that way they can pull Cooper out and make it a little bit more relevant. Yeah. It's always hard for me with Cooper because I think I have like an irrational like bias against him. Uh, and it's just kind of built in. Uh, and I, and, and so it, I think it clouds <laughs> what I do sometimes. Cause I just, I just always thought like he was like, you know, overrated and, you know, like you say, not, not a, not a, you know, a, a big one that can do it on, on his own. Uh, you know, I think he's been, he's been, he's proven statistically over the years that he's very boom bust when it comes out week to week. Uh, and I'm not saying that, that like, you know, that there isn't a place for that. that like everybody needs to be consistent. In fact, some people say consistency doesn't even matter. But, you know, uh, for someone like me, who is probably, despite what people think, a little more on the conservative side with some of this stuff, um, you know, having a, a guy like Cooper be that unpredictable is not something I've liked. And, you know, uh, you know, as he aged, uh, not that he's, you know, oh, he's 27 or whatever. And as Lamb is in there and I just kind of was like, eh, no, I'm just, just not feeling it. You know, I had him pretty low uh, when he went to the Browns. Uh, I didn't. Um, I didn't, I said, listen, I'm probably low man on him already. I don't know that I'm going to really do much with it. The question now is like, you know, what do I do that Watson's there? But, you know, like you're saying, absent other weapons, I think it remains to be seen. Yeah. I think, I think Cooper is, you, I think if you could have, you should have sold Cooper the moment Watson got sent there. Mm-hmm. Cause I think the more people realize just how little weapons they truly have. I mean, and Joku is great. But he's still, you know, not completely proven it yet to go over and be mm-hmm. the big time factor that you need to go over and have a second and third weapon. Uh, I know they, like I said, I know I've heard that they're trying to get, you know, Landry or any other wide receiver. But this wide receiver free agency class is completely depleted. Mm-hmm. So you're going to have to have the high reward, high risk guys. You're going to have to Donovan Peoples-Jones be more than a sixth round, seventh round pick he was. Mm. So, I mean, yeah. Watson could make it work, but how many games is Watson going to play this year? Ah, good point. Absolutely. So one more thing on Watson before we, we move forward, and this is maybe right in your wheelhouse. You're, you're a Colts fan. I'm a dynasty manager, right? And I've got, I don't know, uh, let's say Pittman on my roster, right? Uh, a guy who I like, you know, uh, you know, I'm a little cautious with because of the the run heavy offense and the quarterback play, but you know, certainly I, I think I have him in like my toward uh, t- toward the bottom of my top twenty or something like that. So he's a guy I like. Um, what am I thinking now? Like, what are the directions? If it's not Baker, what's going to happen at quarterback for the Colts? They're waiting to see. Um, for me, I think they're waiting to see who gets cut. There's you've got you've got people like Foles. I mean, you listen to Chris Ballard and he knows that the timing isn't working. I'm pretty sure that the Carson Wentz cut was more of an Ursay deal than just about anything else. And mm-hmm. Ursay is known for being a how do I say it, an owner similar to like Jerry Jones, mm-hmm. where he, he wants it his way, he wants it now, he's he's ready for it, and he's pissed off the fact that Andrew Luck but didn't work out the way it was supposed to. And the grandmaster plan fell apart. Um, 
we're on five quarterbacks in five years. So they want somebody that's going to come in and bring stability. But at the same time, there isn't anybody of youth. We tried to go over and trade for Deshaun Watson. We're flat out told no by Houston because mm-hmm. they didn't want to see him in the division. Uh, Russ was already gone at that point. I mean, I, I, the best I think that the Colts can do is hope that Matt Ryan uh, becomes available and we're able to pick him up for two to three years while we bridge through and wait for something to come up. Because the next year's, the 2023 class definitely has a lot a lot more high-end prospects, two at, le- at least two. If not, There's two main ones and then several, I think, that are pretty high up. But we'll get into that a little bit later. Mm-hmm. But um, the next year's draft class just has a lot more quarterback talent than I think this one is. We got a bunch of quarterback twos this year. Now, granted, sure. one or two of them might make it and might be quarterback ones at certain points, but I, I I couldn't tell you who it would be from number one to number five. Right on. Yeah, and and, and I've heard about teams, not just in, in this case with the Colts, but elsewhere saying, you know, blah, 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 they're going to wait for 23, you know, and, and whether that was certain positions or quarterbacks or whatever. And, you know, I guess, uh, I guess uh, you can't blame them. Uh, in fact, uh, we had a... Um, uh, guys from campus to canton.com on uh, a couple of weeks ago, I guess. And Felix was basically saying like, I don't, I don't have any 2022 first anymore. I got rid of them all. You know, like I'm just not enthusiastic about this class. So uh, it's, it, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's going to be interesting to see um, how 23 uh, uh, plays out. Um, so moving on to a Rob to the Rams, um, you know, uh, at first I was nervous about V Jeff. I think you've kind of, calmed me down about that uh it it did precipitate woods to tennessee which i think is interesting because tennessee probably did need another uh wide receiver uh in the mix there uh but let's talk about you you mentioned the uh the depleted uh wide receiver free agent class what does this mean for uh darnell mooney well that's my thing is darnell mooney is now pretty much the wide receiver one because there's no chance for anyone else. I mean, you, the Bears don't draft until the second, middle of the second round. That puts them in range of maybe, if they're lucky, George Pickens at the top end after eight or nine wide receivers have gone, who's coming off his ACL. He had the one great catch in the national championship. That was also his only catch of the entire game. Uh, he looks to be healthier and it could be good. But you may be having to go over and pray that someone like Christian Watson goes over and is your wide receiver that you're working with. And that's the North Dakota State kid Mm -hmm. who's been a combine freak um, and metrics freak. And he killed it at the Senior Bowl. But at the same time, he's coming from a small school that doesn't have necessarily all of the route tree, doesn't necessarily have all of the, you know, experience of going over and dealing with high-end cornerbacks mm-hmm. it's one thing for a cornerback to go over um, at the senior bowl who's never seen you before go over and take for granted how fast or how quick you are for how tall you are it's a different thing when you have professional cornerbacks who've been studying tape on you for the last three weeks and know what your tendencies are and know what you're trying to do and are out thinking you before you even go because at this point you've never had to have a game plan in how to run your route mm. 
as opposed to just saying, I am more athletic than everybody else. I can just do this. And we've seen this happen before. Yes, so. for real. I totally agree. I mean, I definitely am like, okay, you know, I, I'm, I like Christian Watson. He's, he's going to be somebody I'm going to keep an eye on. And, and at, at the right point in, in a rookie draft, I might pick him. But I, yeah, I appreciate you with, with the caution. You know, everything you said, and I would add, too, that, you know, uh, um, uh, Alfred from uh, CanvasCanton.com on that episode, you know, reminded us that he's a fifth-year senior. And he didn't really have, like, almost any touchdowns until this year. And he finally uh, was really good uh, when he was older than everybody else on the field, right? Uh, so that's, not, that's another thing to, to keep in mind, right? And so, uh, you know, um, I, I think if that's where they go, you know, the, the Bears, you know, and that's the best they can do at that draft position, sure. Uh, but so, okay, so real quick then for Mooney, is this one of these like situations where it's, okay, well, he's the one now, volume, 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 or is it like, I don't know, uh, you know, a young developing quarterback plus more defensive attention from the, the DBs, and, eh, let's be careful. I think you have to remember who the new head coach of the Bears is. They brought in Eberflus, who is the defensive coordinator that came over with Josh McDaniels for a day uh, before uh, to the Colts, but actually stayed there. So he's been seeing that run first, run first play action that can make fields work. But at the same time, I don't think, I think this goes back to volume. I think Moody has like the same Pittman side where you're going over and seeing play action. You're hoping he can go over and do a deep post, go over and split the defense because they're playing a single high safety. If that, if they're not dropping them all the way down. I think it says great things for like David Montgomery and maybe even Clue Herbert as he goes over and get, it's probably going to get more of a chance to run just because they're going to have to use some more running backs through that way. So, and there really isn't a whole lot of great running backs in this class you can go over and have to help supplement. So. Okay. So it's not something I thought of, you know, like, you know, sort of like a, a couple dominoes later, a, a bump for, for Monty and Herbert. And that's why we have, sharp minds like Dave Donaldson on this podcast. <laughs> uh, so lastly, in this uh, sort of big uh, uh, transaction news, uh, Juju to Kansas City, uh, 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 co-host and friend of ours, uh, Jesse Schneeman, uh, from the beginning was saying that this was going to be somewhere where he wanted to see uh, Juju land. Uh, he was not alone, uh, you know, uh, despite the fact that Juju had uh, – uh, uh, not uh, not returned the Casey Love at one point uh, that you know uh, they they certainly need a second wide receiver piece and why not him so here he is uh, in KC and I think there's a lot of uh, uh, you know uh, re- not gonna say reason but I think that people are quick to say okay great great fit awesome juju high high powered offense this is gonna be great. You're saying it might be a little conditional, though, on uh, on how he gets used. So Juju, and and this is this is known fantasy information, but Juju's always been, when he was at his most successful, I should say, in Pittsburgh, he was running big slot. Um, he's kind of in a similar build to someone that came out last year, like Amon, Amon Ross St. Brown, where you have this big slot guy who's quick and able to make things happen. Um, you put him out on the outside, they can play but they're a lot less effective. Right. Um, 
you and I were talking, I think this is a bit of Kelsey insurance where Kelsey's up there at like 32 years of age. Um, for tight ends, they definitely go longer. And, are, and it, you didn't really see a whole lot of Kelsey tailing off at the end. But we've all watched Jimmy Graham go from being a monster to a minnow in the span of, you know, six games, it felt like. So I think he's more of insurance and, and has, has a more of a direct impact on what Kelsey can do mm-hmm. if Mahomes decides to use him. Mm-hmm. But as you and I were talking, I think, I think that Kansas City is still looking to go over and improve their wide receiver. And with the free agency being as depleted it is, I think this is another one of those play- situations where you go to Mahomes and say, which one of the remaining wide receivers at 30 – 31 or, or I'm trying to remember. I think they draft at 30, mm-hmm. 29 or 30. Which one do you want at this point? Yeah. So, yeah. and we already mentioned some guys like Jameson Williams that has a similar, uh, similar skill set to Tyreek. Nobody's Tyreek, but um, Speedster that has some route tree movement, worked with Heartline, understands how that comes together. Um, so you can find the speed guy. Again, you can find a, a little bit more of the bigger guy if you think you got three more years of Tyreek being speedster. Mm-hmm. So let's but, talk about uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Go, go, go ahead. No, keep going. Keep going. I was I was just gonna say it really just kind of depends. This draft is gonna be, I mean, the thing about this wide receiver class that's so fascinating to me is that unlike some of the previous years, there are all sorts of different flavors. You've got the speed guys, you've got the tall guys, you've got the route runners, you've got the quick intermediate guys. Um, there is all sorts of different types of flavors. And so it really is, it really is dependent. And with free agency coming early, you see a lot of teams kind of positioning themselves for what they think I think might be available to them, uh, where they're hoping the speed guys are there, you know, the Dotsons, the, you know, JMOs, who's going to possibly be there at the time. So that way I can go and get someone else like a Landry type or someone that runs the intermediate routes and underneath. So, and that was the point I was trying to make. Yeah, of course. And, and speaking of Tyreek, you know, I got a lot of shit when my original uh, debut off season uh, rankings had Tyreek at wide receiver nine. And I can understand, you know, people are saying that's, that's, that's deflated. I mean, he's up to seven now, but when I look at this, you know, I see somebody who, is not getting any younger, right? And, and I can be ageist, but he's not getting any younger. Um, has not performed well if Kelsey's not on the field most of the time. Uh, most of the time, Kelsey's not on the field, he hasn't performed well. He's boom bust. Uh, he's got a quarterback. He's got Kelsey who's aging. He's got a quarterback whose contract could, you know, even with restructuring, I suppose, hamstring them in, in getting uh, weapons in. And, you know, at least for the first next few years, they're going to have probably low draft capital because they're a good team. Uh, yeah. And, and so I just, so, so the more weapons aren't going to get added from that either. I don't know. You know, I just, I just don't feel, uh, uh, you know, elite talent, but I don't know that I can put him in my top five anymore. What say you? I think this goes back to um, philosophy of building your fantasy team. Sure. Um, I think that if in the, in the leagues where I took Ty, Tyreek or I traded for Tyreek, I build into the fact that I need to have higher floor guys that go over and compromise my running backs and my other wide receivers or 
have a top tight end that goes over and scores like crazy that I can go over and rely on because Tyreek is one of those guys that literally can go over and say, hi, I'm going to win you this week and there's nothing you can do about it. And he can have four, six, seven of those games in any given season based on how things happen. So as long as you have the floor guys in place to make sure that if he's having a bit of a dud and you're only going to get you eight points on, you know, four catches and 35, 40 yards underneath, you can go over and make it work. And then you just accept the fact that I'm going to get at least four, if not six or seven games where you didn't have a chance to start because he decided to play that day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I dig it. Um, okay. So that concludes the portion of our show where we're talking about that pesky NFL transaction part <laughs> of, of, uh, of the episode. And, and now we're going to, we're going to get a little bit in, into Debbie. And it was one of my, um, goals uh, at, at some point in this offseason to dedicate some time in more than one episode, I think, to the Debbie side of, of Dynasty, because it's something that I'm starting to dabble in the last couple of years. I think there are, you know, I think there seems to be, as far as I can tell, you know, more and more Dynasty folks who are, you know, dabbling in Debbie. And so there might be some interest for the many listeners of this podcast. And so, you know, I, I said, listen, sure, you know, we had these, you know, guests with these, uh, you know, big Twitter followings and Patreons and, and, uh, and that sort of thing and, and had their take on, on Debbie and rookies and that sort of thing. But I know a guy who knows a hell of a lot about this stuff uh, and is not one of those, uh, you know, uh, as he described them himself, heavy hitters, uh, so to speak. But I think he hits pretty hard, too. Uh, and, and Dave is, is uh, I've nicknamed him, and I don't know if it's going to stick, uh, the everyman of Debbie. Because uh, he has, I think, you know, equal uh, Debbie acumen, uh, just not uh, the, uh, the big name and, and the following. And so we're going to pick his brain a little bit now uh, about, about Debbie. Uh, so, uh, you know, real, like we talked about with dynasty, why do you love it so much? Does it really come from that? You were a college football head and were a big Saturday watcher. And so this was just sort of a natural outgrowth of that. So, um, it, it comes, it stems from two parts. Uh, the first being that my, uh, my mom's side of the family lives in the absolute sticks of Ohio where it's, acres of cornfield or sorghum or like the one closest town um, has one stoplight. Um, I remember when I first got into DBZ Patreon, uh, it did my first draft. I was actually in Ohio and I had to drive 30 minutes to the Walmart because that was the closest place I could go over and get internet access. So um, yeah. The middle of nowhere, but you've been, but where they're located at, it's Cleveland's a couple hours away. Indianapolis is three hours away. Detroit's three hours away. Cincinnati's two hours away. So what do they do? Everything is Ohio State. Mm. So every time I was growing up and going to visit my grandma and going, you know, we just watch Ohio State football. Mm-hmm. We talk Ohio State football. We talk about the other teams in there or the team up north or things like that. So um, I grew up watching more college football than I did NFL. I didn't really watch NFL until I started getting into uh, into fantasy football. Okay, all right. And, so, and 
being the 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 Buckeye fan that he is, that's why I uh, jokingly and perhaps annoyingly uh, always refer to him as the David Donaldson. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so. uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, and you know, so that kind of naturally translates into you've been watching college players, and and so uh, if they're involved in fantasy, you've kind of already got this like uh, uh, knowledge base and and uh, an interest in in that, that you could, you know, turn that into a success and having an edge over people like me who are like, uh, what's college football? Well, that that's, I'm a extremely, extremely competitive individual. And so I seek out any edge I can. Mm -hmm. And so as I've been going through this whole process of dynasty, you, you hit I think it's what about 50% of the time you hit on your first round picks, but it's trying to get to where I'm the guy that can go over and get a hit on like the 7% hit on my third round picks that mm. started to intrigue me. Mm. Um, my first rookie draft, I made the mistake of drafting John Ross over Alvin Kamara mm. because I thought after watching him play at Washington, there was a great chance he could be something. That and the more I look at it now and the look back and go through the process behind why I made that decision, the more I realize, well, one, it was bad process, but two, there was a there was a process, but it was the process that was wrong. So it was having to readjust how I thought about things. It's not just this is a great player who could run really fast. It was this player needs to be needs to fit a scheme, needs to fit a system, needs to, un and how do we make that work? And so understanding the systems that are happening in college are extremely important because if you're dealing with one of those wing T kind of offenses like Georgia Tech, you don't really think Calvin Johnson looks like much until you go over and you see him actually start playing. So that's a long-winded answer for that. No, but, it's not. Uh, no, not at all. No. Uh, and and so now you, you, you've got this, I think, you know, this knowledge base and this interest and this passion, and now it, it could, you know, uh, uh, provide a, an edge and all that. So when did you start uh, dabbling in, in Debbie? Debbie was, um, well, truthfully, Debbie, I've only been in Debbie leagues for, this is going to be my third year straight in the Debbie. Uh, but going back to my first dynasty league, um, I started trying to figure out the players in the next year's draft in order to try to gain an edge on my friends that I was playing with. Because at the time I, I looked at my team and I had a team full of boom bust kind of guys. I won the first year and then went middle of the pack and there was just nothing I felt like I could really do. So I was trying to figure out there was only so many running backs that made sense. So let me look at next year's running backs and try to figure out who might be worth going over and, trying to get to how do I trade to that spot in that draft so that way maybe I could get myself into a better position to get what my team really needed mm -hmm. it didn't work out but it, it started me down the process of figuring out trying to figure out the chess moves mm -hmm. we were talking about like uh, earlier before the podcast we were talking about how redraft is checkers and dynasty is is the start of chess and then Devi is like 3d chess Okay. <laughs> where you're just you're just trying to put yourselves on multiple planes and give yourself the best opportunity compared to the other people who may not be studying these guys or may come in with you know a few weeks worth of information and the 
spreadsheet from one person, whereas I'm aggregating data from, you know, Matt Hicks and the CTC guys and uh, Brandon Lejeune and, you know, all these guys you've had on before, they're all people that I look up to and respect. And I aggregate the data, look at what they're looking at and try to develop my own opinions from there as to what makes me feel the most appropriate and something that I would want on my teams. Okay. So let's, uh, let, let's crack that nut a, a little bit more. Uh, you, we are in at least one Debbie league together and, and one C to C league uh, together. And we are uh, in the middle of our uh, freshman draft in the C2C League. And I'm sitting there like, all right, well, what does CanvasTheCanton.com have to say? What do rivals say? Okay, I'll just go down that list. And you're like, well, I've got 49 people in my queue and I've ranked 215 players. So um, <laughs> talk to me, about, talk to me about, about, about your process, how you go about you know, doing all the, the ranking and the sorting and that sort of thing. It's a, for me, it's a lot of data aggregation. And then looking at um, when, if you're doing it into like the C2C stuff, for me, the high school that a person goes to makes a huge difference um, in terms of my perceived value for them. Uh, for example, um, you know, one guy that's still in the C2C draft, which uh, hopefully you still have a pick on and you can use this for Caleb Burton, right? He go, he's going to Ohio State. Uh, he's a six foot wide receiver good skills. I believe he's a four-star, but he comes from Lake Travis. Lake Travis is one of the main feeder schools in Austin, Texas. And Ohio State has had a really good track record of, of getting people out of Texas, especially wide receivers up there. Uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba, just to name one. So it gives you a, it gives you an opportunity when you start to know some of these high schools. If someone goes to the ING Academy, you know that they're going to be, I mean, you go to ING to go and play football and get four or five star and get recruited by Alabama or Georgia or wherever position you want to go to. So once you start knowing South Lake Carroll, once you start seeing, uh, you know, Long Beach Poly, um, like there's, there's a few, these schools that you know have a higher track record. And so I take that as part of my data aggregation and say, I know this person went to this school that gives them a greater chance of possibly being successful because in the end you're just you're you're still dart throwing darts absolutely yeah yeah and that's that's one thing that, that uh, you know for, for me uh, and i think I, I maybe do this a little too much in debbie and c2c and i'm trying to to adjust it is like you know uh, it's like this this guy 19 years old you know who know like three years away from the nfl uh you know uh i, I think you said something uh, you had a stat uh uh, when we were on a, another stream about, you know, the, the, the percentage of, of running backs on the, on the two, four, 24, seven, uh, you know, top, whatever that actually make it to dynasty rosters. And I think I tend to like undervalue maybe, uh, or you know, I always say that everybody else overvalues, but I don't know. I, I just, uh, I'm looking at it like, like this, like these are, these are dart throws. This guy's 19, who knows? But there's a lot of people who are like, well, no, he's not just 19. I know shit about him and you're one of those people. But at the same time, if you look at that CDC freshman draft, I was also draft. I only, I only did four picks because I only had four roster spots mm -hmm. out of the 10 person draft. That's why I traded all the way up as much as I could trying to get and maximize that exposure to getting those individual players. Uh, because I knew that like, when you look at the, uh, um, Singleton that's going to the, the freshman running back that's going to Penn State. 
he has he has every kind of characteristic, all the measurables, all the statistics, the tape that you're looking for to go over and tell you that statistically speaking, he has some of the best chances to be successful. Mm-hmm. And he's also got probably the best opportunity to be successful early. So then when you get into your analytics guys, you can go over and look at it like breakout age, which is a huge indication as to where how, and how they'll be possibly successful. Because sometimes you just got to say, this guy had every trait possible, but he's not playing. He's not able to get on the field. And it, no matter how much talent this in the world this guy could possibly have, it's not going to work. I mean, look at Demon Dimas over at uh, Texas A&M. All the talent in the world cannot get on the field. Mm. And pretty much at this point is, is a lost cause. Because uh, a third-year breakout is junior year with a new quarterback in that system that hasn't developed. A&M has not really developed wide receivers well. I mean, it, it's not, it doesn't bode well. Mm-hmm. So it's time to look over and just kind of admit that this may have been one of those cases of a great player with a great opportunity who didn't make it. Okay. I'm going to have a, a can't-get-on-the-field question for you uh, a little bit. Uh, so um, do you have like this, uh, all this, you know, data aggregation and this sort of stuff and, and you're looking at it, is there an overall like approach or philosophy to Debbie that you have, or is it sort of dependent on the league or tell me about like, you know, you sort of your, your general approach to things. So um, I still find myself and I still think of myself, you may call me an everyman, but I still feel as a novice where I'm still trying to, um, figure out my process, figure out what exact characteristics go over and make it to where I feel most comfortable. And so um, very rarely do I have the same person on any day, on any Debbie team. Um, Because in the end, I, you know, I think, well, I think the stat we were talking about earlier is your five-star running backs have the highest hit rates. And I believe the hit rate on a five-star running back being, successfully drafted in the first, I think, two or three rounds of the NFL draft is somewhere in the 25% range, Mm -hmm. which when you start to think about it in terms of just sheer numbers, I mean, you could say you have a great, great prospect here. And then for one reason or another, it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. So um, the only way to really be truly successful with that in Debbie is trying to find your ways to getting into the juniors. Uh, so the people going into their junior year that have already made it. You look at that C2C team that I went over and picked up. Um, I traded a lot of pieces from a very good, but, but pretty old um, NFL team and transferred them all into Debbie team, Debbie players that are coming out in the next year, maybe two. Um, so I'm basically saying, I'm going to give myself maybe a 30% hit rate. I'm going to have five or six legit starters off of this team because of it. So that was just, and I'll see how that philosophy works. And I'll, we can come back next year and say that was stupid or that was great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So uh, there's, there's what's called sometimes deep Debbie and shallow Debbie. Uh, I think I'm in a league that, that's, that's fairly shallow. Um, uh, that, uh, you know, I kind of like, Oh, you know, I, I want more, I want more Debbie players. Uh, and there, and there's others that are, that are, that are pretty deep. What's the, um, the, uh, how's the strategy different when it comes to 
uh, deep versus shallow, especially when it comes to, I guess, drafting? Um, the value of the picks themselves decrease. Um, it's something that you can use to your advantage early. Um, once a few people realize that you ha- if you have a 10-person Debbie, that means you have 120 people, uh, potential people from the next two, three draft classes who are already on teams. And so, yes, there's going to be people that are going to be coming in as freshmen that have high potential. Yes, there's going to be people that, you know, Kenny Pickett that goes over and kind of shows up on his fifth year uh, at Pittsburgh to go over and kind of pull a Joel Burrow to name another person where those kind of players can be on your Debbie rosters, but at the same time, they probably weren't. If you're dealing with that, when you start getting into the C2C and you get into like the sure, 20 yeah. or 30, then then you almost have to go for just the random freshmen and, and pray. So. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so let's now say I am in, uh, uh, you know, uh, I'm going to start, let's say I'm going to start Debbie this year. Right. Uh, and I want advice on what do I do? What are some do's and don'ts, team building, um, names to look for in the Debbie draft, uh, assuming it's like it's, it's startup and, and, you know, it's, there's not anybody taken now. What are some things you would tell a, a novice Debbie person going into this year uh, with Debbie? I think Katie Flower said it best at one point um, where she was like, the running backs have the highest hit rates. And when you're playing Debbie, you need to focus on having hits. If you have a bunch of hits, you can trade those hits for a quarterback. Uh, if you're doing into a Debbie league, look at your, you obviously have to look at your team. Um, one of my things, and this comes from having been with the DWC for as long as I have, is quarterbacks are extremely important and always a hallmark because if you really don't have those top-end quarterbacks, um, or at least one of those top-end quarterbacks, it's really hard to be successful the last few years. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I have a Debbie league that I'm in that I won, and my starting, my number one running back was Kareem Hunt. But I had Joe Burrow and I had Josh Allen mm-hmm. and a bunch of good wide receivers. And so I was able to manipulate the system to make it work and get hot at the right moment. So um, you really have to kind of evaluate your team and figure out where the potential is. For me, I will almost always defer to drafting running backs. Mm-hmm. Um, Zach Evans, I think is a person going to Ole Miss that's going to be have a big explosion because at TCU, he wasn't being used near the way he's about to be used. Mm-hmm. Um, you you look at um, Jameer Gibbs is an obvious one for a lot of people playing in this where he transfers out of Georgia Tech to go to Alabama. And even if he's the third down back, he may not have the huge statistical numbers, but everybody is going to be watching him going over and saying, okay, this is what this individual is. Um, you know, you have Jason McClellan there if, as long as he recovers from his uh, his knee injury. Uh, the two of them could share the backfield and just be both easily draftable in the top, you know, 50 picks in the NFL draft. So uh, I've been I've been Tyler Van Dyne is a quarterback out of Miami mm-hmm. who um, is going a 2023 kid that came on late last year. Uh, I've been trying to pick him up wherever I can. Uh, he looked really, really good. I know the system is changing and it kind of makes me a little bit more nervous, but 
Um, everybody knows the price of Bryce Young and CJ Stroud. And so trying to get into that kind of echelon and tier makes it a lot more difficult. But going over and getting the secondary guy with a new system who showed he could do well with it previously, and he doesn't really have a ton of competition coming in against him, those are the kinds of people that I'm looking for. Because in the end, the thing that is most important is opportunity, opportunity to go and show that you can do what it is and not be replaced. So, I mean, Ohio State wide receivers, I mean, yeah, you heard me talk about Jamison Williams, where um, J-Mo went over and spent his time at Ohio State and then couldn't crack the field because uh, Garrett and Chris Olave were just too strong. And JSN is probably the best wide receiver at Ohio State currently, Jackson Sajiba. So he transfers and goes to Alabama and just absolutely destroys it in a year. Mm-hmm. So, so let and me there talk, are teams like that. Yeah. Let me let me ask you, and this is more of a personal question, I think. I I look at Alabama running backs and I look at Ohio State wide receivers and I'm looking at them like, are they gonna get on the field? You know, like it's just such a such a crowded quality room. Like uh you you're you're waiting for these folks to produce um and 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 and, and, and in a debbie you know it's a little different because you're not you're not asking for college production or anything like that but it but i think in, in both cases what we're looking at is like you know what's going to be the breakout age how much are they going to be able to showcase themselves uh and and the, and therefore what kind of nfl draft capital are, are, are they going to get and you know i went ahead and drafted two <laughs> state wide receivers recently but like i don't know it's, am i wrong to worry about those uh those things are in a Debbie in a Debbie program. Um, I'm more scared of drafting Alabama running backs than I am of Ohio state wide receivers. As long as Heartline's there, Heartline teaches such great route running technique that going over and spending as a wide receiver a year or two, there, learning from him and then basically saying, I'm not going to crack the field and going to a different place. You have a, I think you have a better chance of success. Okay. Uh, whereas with Alabama running backs, you're, you're, you're being told you're going to have to wait your turn. And then you go there thinking I can make it. And then you either leave the first year like Kamar Wheaton and you hope that you find a spot where somebody's going to, you know, say, Hey, you were an Alabama guy. So maybe this gives you a good chance to do it. But at the same token, you know, the transfer portal is a, a blessing and a curse. So, because mm-hmm. in the end, you never know where you're going to land. Mm-hmm. So you have some say, but a team has to say yes to going over and bringing you in. And if you come in later, like I just heard Ulysses Bentley went into the transfer portal. He's the uh, SMU running back. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he entered in right now. And I think that's a terrible idea from a guy that, I thought had potential to be draftable, probably a fifth or sixth round this this coming year. But um, you know, everyone's got everyone's already in in starting up spring practices. You're trying to find your way onto a team and picking up everything on your senior year. I mean, it it's just that's the that's the issue with the transfer portal, and that's why I feel safer drafting the wide receiver guys mm-hmm. than I am mm-hmm. more so than the running backs. That's and, and you know knowing the coaching is is important as well and so um, I don't know you know it seems to me that uh, uh, a lot of I wonder sometimes you know 
how folks do all this, right? Like, you know, I've, uh, you know, I've got a couple of dynasty podcasts. I do some rankings, write a few articles, right. Uh, you know, but basically I have a full schedule my entire week. I'm on zooms from like five o'clock, 10 o'clock. And it's just, you know, between political stuff and other things. And, 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 you know, I'm, I am wiped out. Right. And, and, and that's coming from somebody who is uh, blissfully child-free. So how does the, how, my question to you, and this is kind of a serious question, right? Because, you know, for me, fantasy and, and whether it's actual playing or, or content creation, the minute it starts to feel like a job, I don't, I'm not going to want to do it. It's supposed to be fun for me and that sort of thing. But there's a limit to what I'll put into that fun, right? Like when I see people with like these spreadsheets and formulas and I just, oh man, I just, I get turned off by that because it feels like a job. But more importantly, or maybe more importantly, I ask myself, how the, does somebody have time for all that? So <laughs> let, me, let me ask you, the every man of Debbie, right? You've got a, a, a job selling wine. You've uh, got a family, right? How do you find the time to, to know all these things about these college players and, and rank them and know like the high school they're coming from? You know, where do you fit it in? Well, um, the good thing about the job I have is there is a lot of car time. Okay. Um, I do about 65 to 120 miles a day, just driving from account to account, going over and uh, try to set things up, make sure everything's right. Um, so it, it, I do listen to a lot of podcasts in that regard. And kind of, like I said, I kind of aggregate data. Uh, I listen, I hear, and I if something speaks to me or something, if everyone's saying the same thing about a person, let me go back, check on this real quick. Sure. Agree. We're good to go. If we have very wide ranging and different opinions from different people, like Daniel Jeremiah says one thing and Katie Flower is saying another and Brandon Lejeune is saying something else, then let me go and, and pull up YouTube and, and see, yeah, you know, how does he run the route? Where is he when he goes there? and just kind of do a quick interpretation of what's there and uh, make, make some, uh, make some adjustments. And then, then I just base a lot of it off of, you know, the system they go to uh, where their draft capital is. Uh, I use some of the, anal I don't know the analytics, um, but I, I know enough people that do mm -hmm. that I follow their work and kind of look at their analytics and say, okay, if this statistically hits more often and this is how I feel, because in the end, it's all about how I feel. Um, you know, I'll, I'll take my hits. I'll take my misses. Uh, there's, there's some play, like we were talking about tight ends. Uh, I'm every third round. I think every third round pick I have in 2022 is probably going to be a tight end. Uh, and I have more third rounds than first and seconds combined just because, except for in one league, but um, that was me also trying to do something different, which as I said before, is kind of how I, how I process, but like every third round, I'm looking at tight ends and just saying, what tight end can I go over? And which of these three, four five guys that I think are interesting can go over and hit. Jelani so, Woods, Jelani Woods, Jelani Woods, Jelani Woods. I like Dolchich. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, no, I think, I think yeah. he's such an athletic guy. I, he got offered to me in a trade in, in, a, in a Debbie league. And I, yeah, I looked into it and saw some, some, you know, some good things read up about him. I think, I think ultimately the, the overall value in the trade wasn't there for me, but I wouldn't have, I don't know if that I even would have known much about him unless he, somebody offered him uh, to me in a trade. So 
uh, yeah, you know, definitely uh, somebody to look out for because it seems like after the first two tight ends, it's pretty, you know, wide open as far as, uh, you know, uh, uh, who is, you know, going to, you know, be that, you know, third, whether it's, you know, in our rankings or, you know, in, in real life, eventually hit and, and, and be the one that, you know, should have been three, I guess, right? Well, and even in terms of Debbie, you have two tight ends that everyone kind of agrees upon as being top end producers. And then it's, it's like, all right, three through 12 are all variations of, do you prefer more athleticism? Do you prefer more the blocking guy that's going to be on the field more? Mm-hmm. Or do you, you know, what is, what is your process? So, because nobody really knows. Right. If you don't have Michael Meyer or, or Brock Bowers, then yeah, it's like, okay, well, one of these guys may or may not work. <laughs> True. Yeah. Which kind of feels like the tight end in the NFL also. So, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. All right. So anything left unsaid about Debbie that you, that you'd like to, to point out or, or talk about, because I'm coming at it from somebody who's very new to Debbie and doesn't have the, the knowledge base that you do with from the college players and the rankings and the process and all that. So, you know, those are the questions that I came up with. What is there anything that you'd like to talk about with Debbie that we, we did not get to? Debbie, Debbie is an extremely fun and it, I, I think it, it makes you a much, much better fantasy player because it forces you to think not just about the present or about a one year. That's when you really start thinking in three year, four year windows, mm-hmm. which is extremely important because if you go back and you look at who was successful three, four years ago, a lot of those players are not very successful anymore. Um, so being able to change your process and think about it. And the other thing that Debbie teaches you very quickly, especially in deep, deep Debbie stuff is um, you learn that you're going to miss. And so it, I think that is an extremely important aspect to learn whenever you're drafting, whenever you're playing, whenever you're doing redraft or, you know, just in whatever regards you're going to miss this game. We, you and I have been doing this game for over 20 years each. We know and even then we still get mad whenever we miss on a player or the player gets hurt and is never the same. And so I think Debbie helps kind of understand even more extreme that, you know, you have a 25, 30, 35% hit rate on these guys. Sometimes it works out. And sometimes, you know, all your best laid plans fall apart, understand the process, how you got there. What did you did wrong? Is it something you could have changed and how do you get better? Yeah. All right. Okay, folks, going to uh, land the plane with the, uh, the everyman of, of, of Debbie here. Uh, really want to thank you for, for, for coming on and, and, and talking Dynasty uh, and Debbie with us. We're really glad we were able to, to, to have you on and uh, have uh, your perspective. Um, so uh, plug time, uh, where can we follow you on Twitter to get some of these nuggets? Well, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I, I am not a fan of social media. Uh, I use it basically as a platform to uh, follow other people and gather information. But if you do ever want to reach out to me uh, via DM or, or just to chat, or maybe there's one or two times where I just really feel like there's something needs to be said, it'll be at, at Pliny Dave. Uh, so, yeah, that's where you'll find me on Twitter. All right. Uh, so you can find uh, me on Twitter at FFJunkie underscore. Um, you can uh, find my articles and rankings on fantasyandframes.com, which is also the 
uh, progenitor of uh, the other Dynasty podcast I do, Dynasty 365, 8.30 on Tuesday streaming. <sighs> what else? Uh, I think that's uh, that's about it. Uh, Jesse, our, our normal co-host, uh, you can find him at DWZ underscore War Games. It's uh, another podcast that he does, uh, and uh, it's uh, a little more, more of a party uh, environment for sure on, on Friday nights, uh, so you can catch him there too. Uh, and you can follow this podcast on Twitter at Dynasty Fever Pod uh, for the everyman of Debbie and for a very tired me. Uh, that's a wrap. Thanks for listening.